1: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. The better you are
2: at creating rhythms and signals to your body, the better the response in the body will also be on days where you're not able to keep that rhythm.
1: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.
3: Hey guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network. Podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yass, a performance coach, content creator, and founder of the Coaches Network. And today's episode is going to be part of our how to series, where we discuss a range of topics and, with the help of our guests, break down some actionable how to steps to help you reach your full potential. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yass, and today I've got a very special guest with me as part of our how to series. Today, I'm being joined by Anna West. Anna is a sleep and recovery specialist. Good morning, Anna. How are you?
2: Good morning, yes. How are you?
3: I'm fine. Thank you very much. Um, Anna, for those that maybe aren't familiar with your work and what you do, would you mind just giving us a brief background of who you are, what you do, and how you've got to where you've got to? Um,
2: Well, um, I'm a sleep and recovery specialist. Um, I have a background. I'm a nurse and I studied sports science as well. Back in the days and over the last years, I've worked in a cross field between research, elite sports, military and corporate performance um, surrounding sleep. Um, And you can say that the, the mission of what I've been doing is basically to ensure that everything that I've been working with does not only strand in concluding academic papers, but are actually transformed into strategies which can be used in the elite sports world. Um, so, my journey started in a medical technical company that was specialized in sleep. Um, and then back in 2015, I founded my own consultancy, Sleep to Perform. Um, and I work across sports, um, across elite sports, um, helping athletes optimize sleep and recovery and well being in order to basically optimize their performance potential um and i would say that my main sport is uh, football
3: okay brilliant and you know just talking there about optimizing potential and you know looking at the idea of sleep what it ha- what does what is an opt- optimal perf- performance look like in- initially and how does sleep have an impact on that and, you know maybe you can go into a bit more detail around the relationship between us I mean, and sleep yeah
2: sure um so the restorative qualities of, of sleep are fundamentally like the the basis of any individual athlete's ability to recover and perform and to be able to kind of challenge and control the effects of the, the exercise regime that that athlete would be in so if you don't sleep well you can't really train well and you can say that in many aspects sleep is the, the biggest low-hanging fruit, fruit in the performance market um, the interesting aspect is that You know, research really consistently shows that a large percentage of the population, that would be you and me, but also in elite sports, um, we fail to obtain the recommended hours of sleep. Mm. Um, And moreover, like the the last years of research also has concluded that, especially in the athletic population, there's a a really, really high prevalence of poor sleep quality which can then be linked to many negative aspects in the athletic world as increase in injuries, burnout, reduction of athletic careers and so forth. So, so sleep is basically the foundation when you talk about performance optimization because it's also during sleep that you, you have like the memory consolidation. So when an athlete is learning new tactics, it doesn't really um, stick in the brain unless sleep is optimized or if sleep is good. Mm. so without sleep you can't really talk about optimizing performance
3: so just on a new touch on a few points there first of all you know in terms of i guess getting the optimal amount of sleep what, what does that look like and how does one identify themselves so obviously that can range from individual to individual what are some of the variables that you might need to consider within that and how- there
2: are there are a lot of variables to consider when you when you talk about sleep and it, it's very much age dependent as well um mm. and since we're talking about primarily like talent development and so forth it's it's quite important to to remember that 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 sleep is not like this consistent size and there's no one size fits all when it comes to sleep because genetically we can be quite different as well but what we know from an age group perspective that that it differs how much sleep we need and we know that adolescent athletes need more sleep than the older athletes would need Um, I think the interesting aspect is that we know as well that the, the younger athletes are actually the group of athletes that have a tendency to get the least sleep. Um, and, and the athletes in the younger group would also be the athletes still growing. And it's, it's during the sleep process that growth hormone is released and so forth. So the amount of hours of sleep is always important, but it's especially important when you're a younger athlete.
3: Mm. So, just in terms, obviously, you, know, you talk there about some of the variables in terms of age and uh, you know stage of development. Is there some you know easy go go to points that people can you know look at and think right? Based on X, Y, Z, I I probably need this amount of sleep. But is you know is there is there an easy formula for people to kind of adopt? <laughs> hey or is I, it still would, so... I would have
2: a job yeah. if it if there was an easy yeah. formula. So the interesting factor is that, you know, in all honesty, sleep is often perceived as this slightly boring subject, a bit of a no-brainer and and quite Mm. often something that we just do. Um, But sleep is extremely complex and sleep is still an area which is researched. There are a lot of things about sleep that that we have a theory around, but we don't really know exactly. What we do know is that sleep, sleep is a little bit like a secret sauce if you put it like that um and all facets of our mental emotional and physical performance um and balance is positively affected by a good sleep and that in in itself is a quite strong argument to actually be focusing on your sleep um the, the 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 thing is that that you might need sleep in a certain amount and I might need sleep in a certain amount, but we know that there are a certain recommended amount of hours which benefits us. And we know that a certain amount of hours will have a negative impact on us. Mm. Um, and we know that the likelihood of injury as an example, when you look into an athletic population is directly linked with the amount of hours that you get, um, There was a study that came out a few years back that found that as an example that those individuals who sleep less than eight hours per night on average were around 70 more likely to report an injury than those who sleep more than eight hours per night so we do have some average recommendations and if you look at the national sleep foundation and so forth they will recommend um, that people sleep between seven to nine hours that being said there will be a variety um, individually in terms of how much sleep you need, sure.
3: And just on that, you know, you talk there about you know the recommended it being in and around the eight-hour kind of uh, time frame. How yeah. much? We, how, much so how much is uh, too much time? Because you also mentioned there that you know there's a certain amount of time that might have a start to have a negative impact on you.
2: I mean, there is a phenomenon called like oversleeping, where you're basically sleeping too much, which will then have a negative impact on your physiology as well, because sleep is very physiological in so many aspects because it's during the sleep that you rebuild your immune system. It's where you create the balance in your hormone production and so forth. And, and that framework needs to be set so that the body will have an optimal framework to actually produce and do the stuff that it needs to do. And if you oversleep, you kind of trigger the the system so that some of the processes will be negatively affected as well. So, Oversleeping is not recommended, but we know that a little bit like athletes need more calories than the normal population. There has been studies that has concluded that if an athlete sleeps longer, it will have, it will have a positive impact. And I think the most quoted study was done on basketball players a while back, where they in a group of basketball players um, created what you would call like a sleep prolonging study. Firstly, mm. it was concluded, like, how many hours of sleep do the basketball players on an average get in the squad? And then over a certain period of time, an intervention was done where the, the where the basketball players slowly added more and more sleeping time. And then the data sets was correlated into sprint times, scorings, mental, uh, the mental feeling of balance, and so forth. And what we could see in that study was quite clearly that sleeping longer had a positive impact, but then again, the, the baseline of how, how many hours the athletes were sleeping at that time was rather low. So they came from, a, I think it was a, a, around seven hours on average, and then they prolonged so that the athletes over time um, came closer to nine hours per night, which then clearly had a positive impact on the players.
3: Mm. And just, just on that then, you know, talking about sleep itself – how much of this is linked um, and what is the link exactly between sleep and maybe nutrition?
2: Um, nutrition is a good question, but there's a, there's a quite clear link between sleep and a lot of physiolo- physiological processes in your body. You ask about nutrition. A good example is so it's during the sleep that, that the, the hormones regulating your appetite is going to be produced. And if you are sleep deprived, meaning that you're not sleeping enough, the thing is that you will overproduce the hormone that makes you hungry. So if you translate that into a football perspective, let's say you have a player who is struggling slightly with a too high fat percentage. And then a nutrition intervention is, is put into place and he needs to, to gain muscle mass and reduce fat mass. And then he's not sleeping well then his ability to actually be successful when it comes to this intervention is going to be challenged, right? Because he will overproduce a hormone that makes him hungry. Further, if I was kind of um, looking into his brain and I was scanning his brain, what you would see as well is that when you're sleep deprived, your tendency to go for nutrients that does not really support a healthy nutrition will be affected as well because you will have a desire to eat more calories and Mm. you will have a desire to eat more fatty and sugary um, nutrients as well so to be able to be successful when it comes to nutritional intervention you kind of need to onboard sleep as a factor as well
3: Mm. and just on that you know so where my question really comes from obviously there's gonna you're right there you know there is a tendency to go for i guess shall we say dirty food (laughs) more tired and in, in in that respect is there a way to kind of strategies that you can implement to maybe overcome that? And just to kind of delve in a bit deeper then, are there particular signs that someone can pick up and say, actually, this is a cause of lack of sleep as opposed to something else?
2: Mm, I mean, it's a good question. I recently actually had this uh, discussion with with, uh, one of the nutritionists that I'm working with because I often get asked if there are certain nutrients that can support a positive sleep. And research in the field is slightly bad, in all fairness, um, and there are certainly things that has proven to have a positive effect when it comes to optimizing sleep, but the theory that I work with is to optimize the overall nutrition on a like, daily pattern, which will be more impactful than just saying that we want to optimize what we eat just before we go to bed. Mm. So if you kind of have a regulated nutrition and, and you also in your nutrition plan um, obtain the right um, vitamins and so forth, then it alludes to a better sleeping pattern because there are certain aspects. So if you are a lack at C vitamin, D vitamin and so forth, it can actually lead to sleep deprivation as well.
3: Right so then just on that then you know you talked there about there being certain foods which people i guess if they're not making a shift to their daily patterns they're they're trying to take on board just to kind of just before they do go to sleep what kind of foods would they be and if you were to adjust the daily patterns in that respect what are some of the things that you probably encourage
2: um so if i'm like if i'm solely looking at nutrition i'm i'm and I would be doing a quite bad job because you need to look at nutrition and hydration in order to optimize the framework for the sleep. So, and you need to look at not just what you eat, but also like when during the day do you yeah. eat it? Because, you know, when you want to go to sleep, you need to think of your body a little bit as a fire that you want to turn off. And if you put gas on that fire just before you go to bed, you kind of ask the body to restart a lot of processes, which should actually be closing down when you are supposed to sleep. Mm. And, and I will explain a little bit about the sleep, but, but if you are to go to sleep, you do not put gas on that fire and certain foods can kind of work as fire or gas um, on the fire. If, if it's a heavy meal, very close to when you go to bed, the, the problem is that you kind of kickstart your me- metabolism. And your blood pressure will go up. The temperature in your body will go up, which makes it so much more difficult for the body to actually fall asleep. Mm. So rather than talking about that one specific thing that you eat before you go to bed, it's it's a matter of kind of balancing, again, your nutrition so that you hydrate yourself throughout the day rather than really hydrating yourself a lot at night, Mm. which is a tendency that a lot of football players have. So you forget to hydrate yourself throughout the day. And then you kind of get home and you're like, oh, I forgot to drink. So now I need to drink a lot. And then you start to drink a lot and that results in a lot of trips to the toilet throughout the night, which is impacting sleep negatively. If you eat a heavy meal too close to when you go to bed, it's difficult for the body to actually descend into the the sleep phases needed. And then the quality and the duration of the sleep will be bad. So nutrition is not about what you eat before, but it's about the pattern you have mm. throughout the day leading to optimal frames around sleep. And then there are certain things known to be able to support sleep. But then again, it can be quite individual in terms of how your body response will be.
3: Sure. And just on that, you know, you talk there about the, the timing and obviously almost having Uh, in some ways a routine of uh, that that is tailored and specific to the the individual at hand now in time in terms of that is there an optimal time that people should be going to sleep and is there an optimal time that potentially you should be having your last meal before that sleep
2: it's a good question so if you look into research um it's quite described as optimal things to do and then if you kind of draw the parallel into the athletic world a lot of concluding research that does not fit at all into the athletic world um mm. yes the body likes to have rhythms and the body would in theory like for you to go to bed and get up at the same time every day but but world that's almost impossible because you have late kickoff times so mm. what i always recommend when i'm working with my athletes is that on as many days as possible, you need to keep to a consistent schedule because the better you are at creating rhythms and signals to your body, the better the response in the body will also be on days where you're not able to keep that rhythm, if that makes sense.
3: Considering that we are going to have, you know, midweek kickoffs, morning kickoffs on a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever time that may end up being. Now, within that, it kind of then leads me to my next question how important or what exactly is the power of having a nap then
2: <laughs> maybe i should start somewhere else and then explain what sleep is and then i will explain what the power of a nap is so when when we look at normal sleep it consists of different sleep cycles which eat more times throughout the night and a sleep consists of like a sleep cycle consists of more stages where we kind of start to fall asleep and then the body will kind of slowly descend into a variety of, of sleep phases ending in what you would call like the deep sleep phase where, where a lot of the hormone production and basically where the the majority of the, the physiological rebuild um, restitution of the body is taking place. And normal sleep would kind of consist of four to six sleep cycles and would then last around these seven to nine hours and in the first part of the night is where the deep sleep is dominating and where you call it like the physiological um, rehabilitation of the sleep whereas the last part of the night is where you will have more of the of the lighter sleep phases where it's more like the the emotional and and psychological um, restitution of of uh, your body and when we sleep, we kind of want to avoid to have a lot of disruption and a lot of kind of breaking these um, sleep cycles. So when we, when we nap, basically the body starts to go into the same process of, of going into the variety of, of sleep phases. What we want to avoid is basically to trigger the brain into thinking that this is nightly sleep so that if you nap too long throughout the day, that your body will start to descend into the deep sleep because that can make it very, very difficult for you to fall asleep at night. Mm. So an op- an optimal nap, I'm quite often getting asked about like what an optimal nap it is. And it depends a little bit on the setting, who you are, how your response is to a nap and so forth. But when I, when I work in, in the athletic environments that I'm working with, napping is always a very, very big issue because... You know, no player would ever take a nap with the intent of harming himself. A player would always do it because he has an intention about refreshing himself, getting the energy back and so forth. But without you thinking about it, taking a nap in the wrong way can actually position you in a very, very bad place. Because if it compromises the nightly sleep, what you don't think about is the fact that it over time, because the quality and the duration of the night of sleep is being compromised, that it can put you into the risk zone of an injury.
1: Mm.
3: And just just on that, then you know, you talk there about it potentially becoming harmful, and obviously that's never the intention, um, presumably. But on that, then, what is an optimal time for? Now? You because know, I've, I've I've read loads loads in the past where it says you know
0: is kind of good, and you know, before we, we you actually fall, yes. Uh, it, it, uh, before.
2: The, the, the sound is so bad that I almost can't hear you. It's, it's like bouncing back and forth. Can you hear me? And does the sound is the sound okay from your side? Because oh, this is so annoying. The problem is that I have like full speed internet here. I even checked it before.
0: Uh, so I'm just
2: I'm just staying. And then I'll see if you come back.
3: Is it any better now? Is it any better now? Much better. Okay, fine. Um, let me have a look here then. I'll have a look at it. Uh, I'll start again from my question. Then. Um, so obviously, you know, looking at, though, you mentioned there, you know, the optimal time and whatnot. In terms of now having a nap, are there optimal times for that nap to take place? I've read loads of loads of pieces in the past where it talks anything between kind of that 10, 10 minutes to up to just under 30 minutes is kind of a good time for a nap. Now, one, what is a, a, a sufficient or suitable time for a nap? And obviously that could be you know, situation dependent as well yeah Um, and secondly is there a particular time or yeah i guess within the daily routine of some sort obviously based on the individual factors around it in terms of when the event may be and whatnot is there a certain amount of time where a nap should not be taken so for instance you know if we are now thinking about the long-term impact it has on you know nightly sleep is there a time where it's considered maybe too close to the nightly sleep to actually um be effective if that makes sense
2: Basically, you're, you're on the right track because what happens is that when, when we talk about sleep, a, a, a very important part of it is, is also to understand that we in our body would have something called the sleep pressure. And the longer time we spend from the last time we slept, the bigger the sleep pressure will be in the body. So if you take a nap too close to, to nighttime, again, the, the sleep pressure will be quite low, hence why you don't feel sleepy. So it's always important to kind of regard when you kind of try to plan your nap is when do you actually plan to go to bed as well. So if you look at a 24-hour perspective, um, you would get up in the morning. If you live in a normal world, you probably would get up somewhere between 7 and 8 in the morning, and then the optimal time to have a nap would actually be to have it before you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, because if you move it ahead, it will be too close to the optimal bedtime as well. Because if we have to take into consideration that the optimal sleeping hours would be somewhere between seven and nine hours, it kind of needs to be calculated. But then again, if you are a player and you're living in the real world where sometimes training is not finished until three, you do not get home until 3.30, maybe four o'clock, The thing you need to consider is to keep the nap short and not to do it long, because then the nap will have the effect of you running a little bit like you running the quick program on a dishwasher, where you just slightly, you know, quickly put in your body and your brain into a dishwasher. You run the quick program, you reset a couple of things in your body, and you get energized. The challenge is that if you at that time sleep longer, you affect both the sleep pressure, but you also trigger the body into descending into the deep sleep phases. And then it's not a quick program anymore. Mm. And then you end up kind of coming out of that nap, not feeling refreshed. And that what? goes a little bit back to, so when I when I work with my clubs and clients and athletes and so forth, I always do a quite extended screening of both the environments and rhythms and the, the, the culture of the club and so forth but also really low practical like what's what's the daily routine how does it look like how does the routine look for the individual athlete mm. and then i always look into the squat as a good example and i asked them on a squat level like how many of you would nap and then i also asked them how do you feel when you wake up from the nap and a good kind of indicator to whether or not they're oversleeping is If they feel refreshed when they wake up, it's because the amount of time that they slept was quite short. If they feel like someone slapped them in the head with a hammer, it's probably because they were sleeping too long. And they're woken up from the nap, where the body's actually in some of the deeper sleep phases, because that that's the part of the sleep where your body's actually not ready to wake up.
3: Okay. And then, you know, just on on that note, then, you know, you talk there about you know take you to one of your initial points was around if you have that sleep for too long you wake up and you you know you're not feeling too great now I think we can all you know certainly I can relate to that there's been times where I've had a nap and I've woken up feeling worse than I was before I went to my nap <laughs> yeah um, you're
2: not the only one
3: just so just on that then you know I want to bring you back to the whole idea of falling into a deep sleep and the sleep cycles now what, what exactly for those that maybe aren't too familiar with it what exactly is a sleep cycle and what over what time frame and how, you know, what does the timeline look like in terms of going from one phase into another, if that makes sense?
2: So usually you, you have to kind of look at stages as a falling asleep process and then the, the process of falling
3: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? These ultra
0: low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
2: Falling asleep. And usually, you know, when, when we talk about sleep latency, which is a very nice word for how, how much time you use to, to fall asleep, it shouldn't be more than 15, 20 minutes. Um, and when you kind of reach that point, what happens is that the temperature in the body needs to go down, drop down. You need to get rid of heat so that the body slowly will go down in the sleep phases. And each sleep phase consists around nine minutes and then when you've kind of spent 90 minutes the body will kind of descend down into one two three and then it will go back up again and then start to descend down into the deep sleep phase again mm. and every time you kind of get out of a sleep cycle is where you'll be m- mostly prone to have an awakening right so let's say that you're sleeping in an environment where it's very loud or it's very bright or it's very warm and so forth if the body starts to feel this disturbance at the time where the body's kind of climbing up the steep sleep phases again you have to have an awakening which is not you just tossing and turning but you basically waking up on
1: yeah. the other
2: hand the, the aim of your sleep is to have as little disturbances as possible and as much undisturbed sleep as possible because the more undisturbed the sleep will be the more the body will have time to basically create the processes needed for recovery
3: sure and you know just kind of build on that then you know you talk there about some of the environmental factors what are you know what are some of the i guess conditions that we want to kind of surround ourselves with when preparing ourselves to get to sleep so you talk there about light heat and whatnot and you know, uh, uh, another thing I want to kind of just delve a little bit deeper into in terms of potential of uh, additional noises, you know, maybe potentially the form of white noise or anything like that to support sleeping.
2: Um, so everything that you described there has a very sexy word. It's called sleep hygiene. And sleep hygiene, most people, they kind of get the perception that it's something about you showering and, and making yourself nice before you go to bed. But sleep hygiene is also being hygienic about your emotions, your feelings, your, your mood, your mindset and so forth, so that you are doing the right things around your body in total to basically allow sleep conditions to be heightened, if that makes sense. Mm. um so when you when you go to bed, it's important that you that you allow your body to kind of slide into the sleep mode if that makes sense. A little bit like if you compare yourself to a smaller child, you would never kind of put heavy metal on the on the loudspeaker, bust it into the brain of a child, and then expect that child to fall asleep, right? You would kind of calm down, make sure that the that the the lighting in the room is, is turned down, that that things around the child is relaxed and so forth. And the, the adult body works in the same way. The, the challenge is that we don't act very often in that way. So we will be reading news. We will be going on our phones. We will get a lot of blue light from our electronics. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: we will quite often not have put a full stop to our day, if that makes sense. And sure. we go into the bed and we kind of expect the body to just activate the process of falling to sleep but the body still works as the body worked a million years ago where we were cavemen living in a cage we would go into the cage when the sun went down when the light was dimmed the temperature in the cave was cool the light was kind of fading away we didn't have a lot of exposure to many things and our brain was kind of allowed to slightly slowly doze off and then we sure. come out of the cage next morning when the sun went up again, and that's basically how the body still works. That's just not how the world around us is working.
3: Definitely, and just you know, one of the questions I was going to kind of delve into and You touched on it there around blue light. Now, would you mind just initially maybe going into what exactly what blue light is for people that maybe aren't too familiar with the term? So, I,
2: so basically, yeah. blue light will will go through your eyes and it will trigger a a um a factor in your brain that kind of allows the brain to to bust off that's i think the easy way to put it and and when we want to go to sleep a little bit like the fire i talked about earlier on we don't really want to escalate processes in our body that sends the, the wrong signal to our body and what happens when when we're exposed to the body doesn't really know exactly what to do because it's a little bit the same reaction as if we're getting a lot of sunlight exposure. Then the body knows that it that it needs to wake up. It needs to produce some certain hormones, which mm. makes you alert. And blue light will have exactly the same effect. So. So just. To, no, sorry.
3: Yeah, no, I was just going to say just to kind of delve in deeper on there. Then would you mind just maybe going into. Uh, what kind of uh, i guess devices or things that might promote blue light and what kind of time frame we might need to start i guess avoiding blue light before we actually fall asleep as well
2: um there's a lot of theory and there's a lot of research coming out now in terms of blue light and the effect of blue light depending on what electronic device you're using and and some research has claimed that blue light from some certain devices as iphones ipads computers and so forth. Um, is having a negative impact on what I described before, the, the sleep latency, how long time it takes for us to fall asleep. And I mean, I can't remember the exact figures or the exact numbers, but, but iPads and so forth has been shown to delay the sleep um, with around 90 minutes. That doesn't mean that you do not fall asleep, but your body's ability to then descend into the deep sleep will be delayed. And the, the more you delay that process the more you basically hinder the recovery process as well. And then Mm -hmm. there's been theories about these blue light blocking glasses, which has been proven to have a positive impact. The thing is just that I see quite often that the the willingness from, from users to continue to use the blue light blocking glasses is not going to be persistent if that makes sense so the, they will yeah. they might use it for a period of time and then they forget to use it so in my mindset it's much more about so rather than buying blue light blocking glasses it's a better idea to like fade down the the, the light intensity on your screen you can do that quite easily in the iphone system and then rather than you know going for for aids to help you not using the electronics, you need to develop habits where you basically don't use it before you go to bed. Mm.
3: And equally on that note, is there any research that might find an impact either positively or negatively on using that technology upon awakening?
2: Mm. I mean, there's, if you flip the question a little bit, there's a lot of positive research showing that if you get high light exposure, when you wake up in the morning, um, especially during the, the winter time it supports the natural body clock in your body your circadian rhythm to kind of fall into place so the right. the fact about getting up in the morning making sure you turn on some light especially again as I said during the winter months, is having a positive effect I don't know and I'm not familiar with any research that has looked into the effect of blue light in the morning in all fairness
3: mm. And just kind of delve in deep because it was going to lead on to the circadian rhythm. Would you mind just maybe going into a bit of detail for maybe those that aren't familiar what exactly a circadian rhythm is and how that impacts us? So
2: basically circadian rhythm translated can be a little bit like your inner clock. Um, and we, our circadian rhythm is, is something that everyone has. And, and it kind of like the circadian rhythm and what I talked about before, like the, the sleep pressure, it will kind of regulate the, the depth and the, the length of our sleep. Um, and we kind of operate with this 24 hour clock because this is how the world is, is basically um, working. And our circadian rhythm is the time that we, that, we, that we spend throughout a day where we are both awake. We are having some dims throughout the day, which is quite natural. You, you can probably relate to that you've been awake in the morning and then a couple of hours goes by and then in the afternoon you start to kind of slightly get tired. And that's basically your rhythm throughout the day, your, your circadian rhythm's response to, to the day.
3: Mm. I'm just curious, you know, beyond, beyond that then, you know, is the circadian rhythm at all impacted by, I guess, what part of the world you're yes. living
2: in? I mean, you can say that it's, that it's impacted, you, you know it from traveling through time zones, right? So if you're living mm. in one part of the world, your circadian rhythm will adjust to the time zone that you're in, and if you then travel to a new time zone, based on your behavior and so forth, your travel, you, your travel and your circadian rhythm will then adjust to the new time zone that you're in.
3: Mm. And then you know, just kind of again beyond that, you know, I want to bring you back to something you talked about earlier: falling into a deep sleep, where you start to maybe consolidate and formulate some memories and you know i think you use the example of tactics and things like that um is the, are you now referring to the idea of, you know the, or the concept of REM
2: sleep um i mean i think i would yes so REM sleep and dream sleep is one thing but it's during kind of like the the total of the undisturbed sleep that knowledge is moved from the work memory into the long-term memory and basically the brain is selecting what to keep and what to kind of disconnect um and it's also, again, ca- kind of dependent on how long time you spend in this sleep phase, how well we are creating the process of selection. And it's, I mean, if you, if you translate it into a football perspective and you have a coach who needs to plan some tactical sessions and trainings, it's, it's quite important to regard what the day prior to that session looked like. So if you had mm-hmm. a late-night game, you know that your player's sleep have, has been, you know, compromised. Maybe it's not the yeah. best tactical thing to introduce new tactical stuff because quite often the player's brain will not be able to cement that knowledge and they might need to rehearse something ten times as opposed to five times.
3: Sure. And it's you know, it kinda of just brings us to this topic that's got ongoing at this point in time. Obviously we you know with, with the pandemic and everything that's happened over the recent months. Um, you know, there's a lot of Discussions and controversy taking place at the moment, especially in the Premier League, around how soon some of these teams, the ones that may be potentially playing in Europe, have then got early kickoffs on the weekend. Mm. Uh, how much is it, you know, what is an optimal time for that recovery? I mean, you know, you know, there was a, I guess, an in depth interview the other day where Jurgen Klopp was almost on a bit of a rant uh, and a back and forth with the interviewer mm. uh, around the lack of. I guess care or the negligence that's been placed on 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 the players because of, you know the, the scheduling of the games. Then you know he was making an argument that probably would have potentially pushed the kickoff from t- being twelve, to maybe three o'clock. How how important is those those extra three hours and those minutes in, in in that recovery
2: process? They're extremely important. But then again, sometimes the the athletic setting does not regard physiology, if that makes sense. And if you look at if you look at like last season and this season, there's no doubt that the athletes and the players at the moment are pushed beyond like normality. So they will have more games, they will have less time to recover and so forth, but that eludes even further the need for them to know how to optimize. So that if that's the frame set and you can't change that frame, you need to know to you know how to do the right things. If if that is the frame, a good example would be if you know that you have one day of recovery. Um, it's a really really bad idea to do negative sleep impacting things on, on that day. And in general, if you know that recovery time is going to be reduced, it's extremely important that that sleep is regarded as a um, very very important part of the strategy when you do schedule that is
3: disregarded you know sure and then for you know for coaches that are listening to this thinking about how they can kind of implement some of this stuff within their own environments and you know there'll be a a lot of coaches uh listening to this that are maybe not necessarily working in the elite game especially not in senior level anyway is is there any things that maybe they could start considering in adapting for maybe their grassroots players potentially so whether that, you know, regardless of what it you know, is, is. In, in yeah. all
2: fairness, sleep matters no matter what level you're at. And that's a very, very important yeah. message. And I just had a discussion the other day because it's quite interesting. So quite often when I initiate work in a club, the, the normal entrance and the normal entry level would be the first team because that's where you have budget and that's where you invest. But I always challenge it massively because sleep is so so important in the talent development section as well and if you can get athletes Mm -hmm. at a younger level to implement it and have rhythms and tools and and a mindset where sleep is a part of it and it becomes part of their spine it's it will strengthen them so much when they when they develop and also when they turn themselves into professional athletes because sleep Sleep is a low-hanging fruit, but sleep also needs to be regarded as something you invest in just as much as you would invest in your performance. The, the honest truth is that, that quite often the focus would be on the performance development viewed as something which is related to the training aspect, as opposed to viewing sleep recovery as a part of the performance optimization.
0: Mm. And,
3: you know, you talk there about the talent development and obviously, you know, sleep is important regardless of the context and whatnot. What are some of the messages that, you know, you you'd, you'd want really coaches to kind of take on board in that talent development space? So, for instance, you know, whether that be in, I guess, an elite setting or in a grassroots setting. More specifically, in a grassroots setting, you're going to have less control over maybe what days and times you're going to, I guess, be able to train. Um, because it's probably dependent on facilities and, and the rest of it, Um but that balance between the coaches wanting to get a certain, I guess, concept out, and you talk there about you know, look, if we're looking at a tactical thing, they might need ten repetitions of something as opposed to five, depending on, uh, I guess, what's happened before. Then is there any is there any background work that maybe the coaches could be doing to kind of help themselves plan more effectively? for those sessions to go I guess you know what, what is the information that we're really looking for for that last 24 or 48 hours to, prior to that session I that think
2: one sense. of the one of the core messages is to create consistency as much as possible around the athletes predictability mm. as much as possible around the athletes I can give you an example um, so I was working with a player in one setting and he recently moved to a different setting where training times, were very different um, compared to where he came from, and he never knew until the night before exactly if he would have a morning training or an afternoon training. That may right. sound as nothing, but for a player that actually disrupts his rhythm quite badly. And um, he was on mm. a professional level, meaning that he was not working next to his football career, but he could never plan. So he never knew until the night before if he would, you know, go in in the morning and have the morning session. If it then turned out that it was actually an afternoon session, the result was actually that he ended up doing absolutely nothing, being extremely inactive. And, And basically what I could see when I measured his sleep data over time is that he went from a setting where things were predictable, he knew a little bit, you know, in advance what would happen when the training sessions were and so forth. And his recovery level was quite nice and high because he then came into a setting where everything was upside down. He never really knew. Sometimes it was this, sometimes it was that his body actually adapted negatively to that kind of inconsistent routine. And he started to be very inconsistent, which then going back to sleep physiology impacted his you know, emotional side he was completely frustrated unable to fall asleep a lot more stressed out interesting factor was as well that if if you then looked at the whole escalation he ended up getting injured because most likely because his sleep um, was compromised quite a lot and and it, it sounds a little bit like a vicious circle but it actually is so a core message is to create consistency so that the athletes know what will happen and so that they can adapt their rhythm to that scheduling if that makes sense um Mm, and mm. i think a second message is education people need to understand why sleep is very impactful but not just that it's impactful but also how to actually change it so it doesn't really help if we just conclude that sleep is important if they don't know how to actually fall asleep on a difficult day
3: mm. I'm just just curious now you know as, you, as you're talking i'm just loads of thoughts are going through my head i just how how much of an impact or is there any research that talks to uh the cultural aspects in it whether cultural differences of of, of people from different communities has an impact on sleep um- anyway.
2: I don't know, it's a bit no, I, question, I understand, but... and it's a very good question. So when, when I work in the variety of, of athletic settings that I'm working in, culture plays a quite big role in all fairness, because let's say you have a culture where sleep is, is a sign of weakness. The fact that you're actually tired is regarded as a sign of weakness, and, and it's promoted that you're strong when you don't need a lot of sleep. And, you know, the, the warrior um then sleep suddenly becomes something that's slightly negative and i see that quite a lot in the corporate world right the more hours you can deliver the the better you're standing out where it's actually the opposite so the the better you are at taking care of yourself basically the higher your performance output will be so so sleep can have a quite you know meaningful Impacted by how the environment would be, how much it's regarded, but culture is another. Like the 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 other angle of culture is what kind of sleep culture do you originally come from? So if Mm. you're from the southern part of Europe, you're used to a siesta and you're used to sleeping quite late in the evening.
3: So, but is equally, you know, on on that, if you're in the southern part, you you also tend to. Yeah. Start your days later um so you know obviously that taking that into consideration, you know and we, you know we talked there briefly about the circadian rhythms and things like that. Um, in terms of obviously now preparing how much onus should be on that individual to then communicate to I guess the the, the, the the staff at the club or wherever they wherever they're based that this is something that they this is the pattern that they've been used to. Um, or even potential parents might be listening to this and thinking about right, how can I better support my my youth my youth, or my son or his daughter in their youth athlete set- setting um, by communicating information that we know about them. If I'm not sense. sure I
2: understand the question, but what you're asking me is, you know, no matter what culture you're in, if sleep is important mm. and how you can support it with respect to the different culture.
3: Yeah, so I mean, kind of you know, just to kind of support the development, in more more specifically in talent development space. Um, how how important is it that the athlete or at the center of that, or even the parents of that young athlete, like, potentially? In all fairness, we, in any you...
2: type of talent development, it's extremely important mm. to to get the player or the athlete himself to take action and onboard it. But he needs to be, yeah. of course, guided and directed and supported by the environment. So a good example, it doesn't, in, in ice hockey, I, I, I work um, in ice hockey as well. And in, in some of the, you know, very traditional settings and so forth. And because getting an ice rink is extremely difficult in some countries, because the availability of time on the ice is quite limited, you would have quite a lot of the young mm. players doing really late night sessions. That's just bad, and, and, but it's just a part of the culture. So it doesn't really matter if the athlete is kind of onboarding and doing everything correctly, if he's then having you know every second night a really late-night training session because it's a little bit, again, when you're training late at night, you will have adrenaline in your body, you will have a high light exposure and so forth, making it quite difficult for you to fall asleep. So even though the athlete is then trying to do everything in his power to actually optimize his sleep, if the surrounding factors is then compromising it, he will only get a certain part of the way. And Mm. in football, it's a little bit the same. I mean, you can't change kickoff times, especially on the higher league levels, because it's depending on viewers. And that's just a fact. But then the, the, Mm. the support should not be in relations to that specific day where you have a game it should be as well but but it should be on all the other days that you have an environment and you create kind of like a dna in your culture where sleep is regarded as important
3: sure and you can just kind of tail off that and as we start to wind down now then would you mind just taking us through some you know what you'd consider as key or essential steps in terms of optimizing that sleep to maximize you know or reaching the I mean
2: again it's a little bit individual um and it's very popular to ask someone like me to kind of give 10 bullets on how to optimize mm-hmm. sleep and if you google you'll get the first i don't know 10,000 advices mm-hmm. on how to get a good night's sleep but i think one of the one of the core things is to create a sustainable rhythm because the body likes to, to do things that's recognizable and the more good you are at creating a solid rhythm the more the body will also know what to do when you want the body to do it. So create a consistent rhythm where you, on the most days as possible, go to bed and get up at the same time every day. Because going back to your question about circadian rhythm and so forth, if you one day go to bed at 9 and then the next day you're so tired, um, you go to, no, sorry, if you go to bed at, you know really late in the night and then the next day you go to bed really early because you're just completely worn out, you don't have a fixed rhythm and the body will not have a fixed signal in terms of starting producing the hormones that's actually making you tired. So the more you can signal the same to the body, the more the body will know what to do.
3: Brilliant. And Anna, just, you know, just want to say thank you again for your time this morning. And just out of curiosity, if, if, if the listeners or anyone yeah, that gets access to this uh has any questions beyond what we've discussed or even anything that's been discussed in this conversation, is there somewhere they can get in touch with you or find They're out always
2: welcome work? to head to my website. It's um, www.sleeptoperform.com. You can also, on the website, download some articles um, with more extended knowledge if, if you're interested.
3: Well, there you have it, guys. You've been listening to another edition of the Coaches Network How-To Series where we discuss a range of topics and, with the help of our guests, break down some action or how-to steps for you to reach your full potential. Now, I've got no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again, guys. You know, your support is massively appreciated. So thanks again for everyone that's been tuning in and please do get in touch with us and today's guest to let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, your views and your key takeaways from today's show. Along with any suggestions for guests you'd like to see on the show and any topics you'd like to hear discussed, ultimately, guys, the show is about you guys. So let us know what you're interested in, who you're interested in listening from. So get, us in, get in touch. And on that note, guys, you can get in touch on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches net but Please do not forget to use the hashtag The Coaches Network. That was the hashtag The Coaches Network. We need as much support we can get to keep this great content coming out to you. Now, lastly, guys, I just want to say keep an eye out for our socials on the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with our panel. Until next time, guys, take care and have a great day.
1: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.